Welcome to Acme Talks. And thank you for downloading this episode and for your continued support of this podcast. Now, this episode deals with the continuing vice of sexual harassment in the media industry. If you are experiencing trauma from sexual harassment or gender-based intimidation at work, you may be triggered by this conversation. But we encourage you to seek help. Help is available for both victims and potential victims regardless of gender and for journalists and media institutions seeking to curb this problem in their newsrooms. So information on systems for redress and policies that you can institute in your workplace are available in the show notes and we encourage you to use and adapt them liberally. Once again, thank you for subscribing to Acme Talks. And now, here's today's conversation. This must change. It cannot stay like this. I do not want my daughter to work in the same space and environment I have worked in struggling to find my footing because of sexual harassment. The next generation of girls should not be afraid to take on an opportunity because someone is demanding to fast sleep with them. The next generation of women should be able to actually speak the voice that we're beginning to speak now and we see a change. This is Acme Talks, a podcast of the African Center for Media Excellence based in Kampala, Uganda. In this episode, Acme's online content producer Claire Muhindo speaks with two journalists, Irene Abalo Oto and Karo Beyanga, about their experience of sexual harassment in the media and possible ways to protect both men and women from this pervasive form of gender-based violence. Irene Abalo is a multimedia journalist with Nation Media Group Uganda, and Karo Beyanga serves as head of mentorship, partnership, and monetization at the same media house. The conversation between Claire, Irene, and Karo comes in the wake of a damning report on sexual harassment in newsrooms in Africa by the media support organization Women in News. The survey found that almost half of women respondents had been sexually harassed at work, but only 30% of cases of sexual harassment were ever reported to the newsroom management. Of the 32 managers interviewed, more than half had been sexually harassed, and only three of these managers reported the harassment. Claire breaks down the findings further in her conversation with Irene and Carol. Women in News, a media development program of the World Association of News Publishers, released a report uh, on their study on sexual harassment in newsrooms in Africa. Their main finding in that study was that almost half of women in newsrooms have been harassed in one way or another in their line of duty, putting the number at about 47%. Of all these women that have been harassed, half of them, more than half, at 56% were verbally harassed and uh, 36% physically harassed. To start with, Irene, what would be your definition of sexual harassment? Thank you so much, Claire and uh, Acme, for bringing forth this, this conversation. For me, sexual harassment is um, any act or behavior that is offensive to you, something that makes you uncomfortable, a comment that is uncomfortable, about your sexuality, about your appearance, as long as I am not comfortable with it. To me, it is sexual harassment and it can be once or repeated. Yeah. Okay. 
going by your definition, you seem to be limiting it to advances that are unwanted in the moment. As following a conversation in another forum where I think you also belong, uh, where ladies were saying that um, some of these advances are taken as someone expressing interest, expressing love to them. It is only later that they realize they're being uh, sexually harassed by this person after finding out that maybe this person used them and dumped them and now they've moved on to another target and then another and then another. How would you categorize that kind of thing? There is a very thin line for someone who doesn't know between a romantic relationship and one that is close to or is sexual harassment. For instance, if if it is a relationship or if, if it is an advance that you genuinely do not want, but circumstances around you are the ones forcing you to say yes to this gentleman, I don't think they're gentle anyway, or to, to, to yield to their demands, then for me, that is not, it is not a, a romantic relationship. In itself, it is sexual harassment. It is a manipulative relationship premised on what does not exist. Um, Carol, as a um, newsroom leader, how would you define sexual harassment, both you as a newsroom leader and as a woman in the newsroom? Close to what uh, Irene has said, I think, uh, in my view, sexual harassment is any act or behavior from someone towards another, but their advances, their requests are unwanted. So to break it down even further, it is if it is written notes, it is emails, it is messages, it is uh, spoken words, that that is done to someone that is not wanted by the other person. And, the new, and it's important that we sort of give all the different forms it takes because some people think it's just, oh, no, it, it is sexual harassment when the person has touched you or when the person has, you know, done something really overt, but it doesn't have to be overt. Back to Irene, um, you have worked in newsrooms both upcountry and in Kampala in the city. If you could compare the two situations while you're working upcountry and working in Kampala, how would you compare the situation in those two areas? Claire, it is difficult to make comparison because at the time I joined the media 13, 14 years ago, I was this little, let me say, very beautiful girl that attracted attention easily and everyone wanted to have a piece of me. I am not afraid to say this. So you come in and the first thing is, instead of people paying attention to what you're able to deliver, the first paying attention to how you look, how you walk, and then they even debate and chat about it. Who is going to take you? I mean, the boy club is such, it's such an annoying thing that if only someone could help find a way to tell this man that when we come to work, we've come to, to be professionals. We've not come to be taken advantage of. And for me, this is um, something that has continued to happen. In 2007, when I joined the media, I remember one of them was not so much interested in my, my, my work, but was more interested in how he could get me to be his wife. Now, I was still a young oh. girl, not ready and prepared for marriage. And I did not go to that media house to become a wife. If I could interrupt you a bit, um, how did you or how do you deal with such situations? 
I have lived in environments that taught me to fight for myself. I didn't ever have someone to speak up for me. My mom always told me that I will not be there every time when you need me. So you've got to be there for yourself. And no one should let you know, I mean, should, should let you think and feel that you are nothing. The words that people speak into our lives and how seriously we take them help us to move forward or to derail. Have you as a journalist experienced sexual harassment from sources as you carry out your work in the field? This is a daily challenge that we deal with as female journalists when we go out to the field, not because of the way you're dressed or the way you've acted. It, it just comes at a point when you least expect it. Um, the report by Women in News mentioned at some point that um, majority of the women do not report these issues or even speak about them. One of the reasons they mentioned was that most of these women look at these issues as if they are normal, as if it's the status quo. Why do you think we have got to that level where, yes, this has happened, it's bad, I know it's bad, but then I won't speak about it because everyone is doing it. Why do you think we've come to that point? Because the boy club has taken over. Um, we've tried. I know many female journalists who have worked before us have tried. HR departments have tried to put in, in, in place maybe code of conduct and ways people should behave. But people come from all sorts of backgrounds. The thing with sexual harassment is you hardly sometimes have proof. That has been a going conversation about um, actually why most people choose to be silent that even if I report, how am I going to prove that this person harassed me if I do not have exactly. screenshots of the text messages he sent or emails or even photos? How am I going to prove? So, yeah, it's something that has been ongoing. Um, Carol, from where you sit as a newsroom leader, how prevalent is sexual harassment from your angle? I, I think that the issue is really prevalent. A lot of the time, people may not know it because it's hidden. It's quiet. People keep quiet. Because like Irene said, people have almost normalized it. So people begin to think this happens. Ah, you just either stand firm or ignore the person. Or other people think, ah, what can I do? I need this thing. I need the money. I need the job. Let me give in up to this extent. Or I'll, you know. So it's become normalized. And uh, people are afraid to report. Or they just think, if I report, nothing will be done. Nothing. I've not seen a incident before of someone being reported and being brought to book. Uh, I have seen someone reporting and it backfired on them. So they, they feel they, don't, they do not have much of a place to go to. I, I, I believe that many newsrooms have not put this at the forefront for many reasons. A lot more should be done. And I believe that so the reason many women do not speak up is because they feel there is no place they can get redress. Uh, they feel there is no place where they can get someone will take them seriously and something will be done. They'll think, ah, it's normal. And this, I think partly because the, the newsrooms are heavily male. So they will either just sort of rubbish it off or say, ah, no, you just ignore the person. Ah, or don't you know men? Men are like that. Or, you know, they will just, they'll not take it seriously. So they, it's difficult because you want to tell someone, but the person is male. He doesn't think it's serious. It won't go far. So that's what tends to, to happen. Um, talking about getting help, do our newsrooms have policies that can help women in such situations or even men when they're faced with such situations? And how effective are these policies? 
I believe some newsrooms have. I, I, so I won't speak for, for any newsroom except for Nation Media, where I work. Nation Media Group has a policy. Uh, that said, the policy was created uh, recently. We did not have a policy until quite recently, about maybe two or three years ago is when the policy was drafted, where the team went through to see, does it make sense? Is it a good policy? Does it protect you know, anyone that needs to be protected? Is it in line with the law? Because we also have to look and say, what does the law say about sexual harassment in workplaces? It's come late, but I am proud that National Media Group has a policy. I think the challenge now is to ensure that people know the policy, they understand it, and they believe it can work for them. Uh, we actually had this discussion during a, a training on sexual harassment still done by uh, Women in News. And we're talking about how do we ensure that uh, people are able to use the policy. So we said, first of all, they have to know. They have to know that there's a policy. They have to understand it. They have to read through it. Uh, and that's one. Two, they have to be comfortable to be able to know, okay, if this policy says I can report, I have to be comfortable knowing that once I report, I will be taken seriously and things will be done well. And I want it wants to end there and say, yeah, yeah, we've got a new report. We've got a new complaint. We're going to work on it. And it just nothing happens one month, six months down the road. They have to be, you know, informed. They have to be updated on what's happening. Uh, and then three, um, something has to happen. You know, if a case has been reported and indeed, and if the findings do indeed find out that this person was sexually harassing another person, then something has to be done. The management has to take action. And that action needs to be to be uh, let known to the team. So people know that, oh, this thing is serious. If I report someone, they will actually be handled and, you know, there will be an investigation a fair, you know, uh, judgment and uh, and the person will actually be, you know, uh, handed the, the consequences. And the people who, the perpetrators, if I may call them that, will also know, hey, this is serious. If I, if I do this, someone meet, I can be reported. I need to now be careful. So those are the steps we now need to take. We need to ensure that people are aware of the policy. They understand it and they believe in it. It's one thing to have a policy that's seated there nicely in your files. It's another thing to ensure that people know it can work and they're using it and it is working uh, for the reason you set it up. Irene, could you please talk to us about the implications or the impact sexual harassment, this problem of sexual harassment has had on your work or what do you think, how do you think it impacts uh, the work of women who are affected by it? Claire and Kara and everyone listening, I think your self-esteem is affected when the very person you're supposed to work with becomes a bother to you. So every time you're thinking, hmm, is it going to say something else again? Hmm, is it going to grab me again? Hmm, is it going to do this again? So it's, it's an everyday struggle within yourself on how to relate with this person, yet you should actually be concentrating on how to improve your work. And then when you go out in the field, Sometimes you begin to avoid certain sources as well. And for me, I think avoiding is not a solution. I would do that because I didn't have the space to speak up. For the 13 years that I worked up country, you literally have this happening every other, like every other side of you. And because it is so normal, when you begin to talk about it and complain, they'll begin to look at you like, so you think you're different? So you think you're special? So who do you think you are? It makes you kind of withdraw from a certain group of people. And it makes you think, okay, is, is, this, is this a right space for me to be in? How can I move forward with 
with with this kind of um, environment. So it's it's the, the toxic environment that affects your growth as a person. And I think for me, it's the reason I have moved from one media house to another, trying to look for where I can grow without having necessarily to every time be fighting these forces of the boy club. I just wanted to be free and be able to grow. And I think it is right that every woman should have the space to grow and do the work just like any other man in that newsroom. Sometimes I've seen people leave the newsroom altogether. How many female journalists do we have in our newsrooms? How many are growing and climbing the ladder? You can, you can ask Carol, how many are sitting on the decision-making tables to help her push for this sexual harassment um, policy to be understood, I mean, to be disseminated and understood by every employer. I'm not just speaking for NM, uh, speaking to the fact that NMG has one, but all the other media houses. It is emotionally draining to every time be dealing with an issue that does not actually contribute to your growth. How do you think women can help each other uh, solve this problem or at least get somewhere because they say collective action helps much more than when you're working as an individual. I think that uh, Irene said something important. She said um, it is good to be able to open up and speak to someone. Um, so I think as a starting point, of course, you need to be careful who you're speaking to. Uh, some people are very helpful. Some people give wonderful advice. Some people will, uh, will rally you know, the team to see what to do. Others may not. But I think if you are in the newsroom and you have gauged and you have seen that there are some people who you believe can be of help in one way or the other, uh, then I think that's a good start. Uh, I think that's one. And then two, I believe that uh, for the women who have some influence to start pushing for these things to actually happen and take place, these sexual harassment policies to be drafted, written, passed and used in their offices. So I think where we have influence, especially the women who have, uh, you know, like in positions of influence, if they can speak up, if they can, you know, come up and say, uh, tell the, the management and say, we need to do this. We need to draft this. Where is the draft of this? We need to push for this. And then um, thirdly, then we go across the board. We don't stop only in our institutions. If I know that, um, you know, like this sort of story, this sort of issue has come up, then we should be able to say, you know, women, the women in the media, what, have, what can we do? Can we write stories about this? You know, we sort of agree and say, let's talk to Vision Group. Let's talk to Next Media. Uh, a couple of others. Let's talk and say, and say, guys, let's, when it, well, let's create a week where we're talking about this issue. We are making noise about it and not just saying that this has to stop. We are showing the example and we're saying we have drafted these policies. They are now in use. We have done this. We have done that. Because then people begin to, it, it starts to take to bite. Uh, so I think those are some of the things that we can begin to, to work on and then keep talking about it because I think, you know, this has come up, it's in the news, but won't talk about it, then it will die after like a, a month or so, it will die, we'll go on to the next thing. So we need not to let it go. We need to keep pushing and saying, you know, this is happening, what is being done about it, how far has this gone, you know, that sort of thing. So uh, keeping it in the limelight, keeping it, even, even if it's not in the news itself, but within our institutions, keeping it and saying, guys, how far have we gone? What has happened? Uh, have people been informed? Do they know about the policy, you know, and things like that? So that we keep the conversation going uh, because once you keep the conversation going, uh, things start to move slowly but surely. Thank you, Carol. Um, 
your take on what women can do, Irene? Um, I think for me, this conversation should be taken to journalism schools. This will save us from losing some of the really talented female journalists who, who joined the industry, but within a few months, you see them leaving and you, they can't really explain to you why they're leaving. They will always tell you about the pay and every other thing, but underneath there is always some other thing connected to another person who is giving them a headache and they can't breathe. So I also think that um, this conversation should not be only among us women. We should involve the men and let them know how we feel when they do certain things to us. We also need these male um, champions in the fight against uh, sexual harassment because we have very supportive males, very supportive men in the newsrooms who want to see these female journalists either in the field or within the newsroom grow and excel. And many have supported me in several ways. And they are mature people who can give proper guidance to, I think, fellow men. So this is a, a problem which is all over us. And we need to have a more broad-based approach to handling it within and outside the newsroom. It is a, a big thing that we can't handle like in one day, but whenever we have the space, I think we should use whatever space we have available to us to speak and involve as many people just like Carol said, when we are more speaking about it, something could be done or something can be done to change the situation. This must change. It cannot stay like this. I do not want my daughter to work in the same space and environment I have worked in struggling to find my footing because of sexual harassment. The next generation of girls should not be afraid to take on an opportunity because someone is demanding to first sleep with them. The next generation of women should be able to actually speak the voice that we're beginning to speak now and we see a change thank you very much carol and erin as we conclude this what tips can you give to young women joining the newsroom on how to safeguard themselves against sexual harassment take a leaf or two from the people who speak to you and find someone genuinely who genuinely cares about your growth they are there and you grow with them it is amazing the things we can learn when we look up to someone who is has a you know who has a uh, experience, who has knowledge, and who's willing to share and to help you grow. So I would encourage people that once you get into the newsroom, as you're starting, as you you know sitting there and figuring out what to do, look for a mentor, look for that person you can look up to, you can speak to, take your time. Don't just pick anyone you see or because you've heard of them and you're in the same newsroom, you think, oh, let me go for them. No, take your time. And then eventually pick that one person you can work with. And I think finally, I would say um, always seek help. Never battle things alone. Uh, you'd be surprised people who have been able to go through the battles they're going through some, somehow easier, some difficult, but they they finally cracked it and they were able to find out how they were, how to go through this thing. So don't battle things alone. Um, you know, seek help, seek advice from within the newsroom, from out of the newsroom, from friends, from all the women, you know, out there. Let's make use of, of, of the people around us and let's get support wherever we can get it from. Thank you so much for this very insightful conversation. I have learned so much and rekindled some memories I had from my personal experience and things that I learned. Um, one thing that helped me while I was in the newsroom was to always speak up. Never be afraid to speak up and get someone you can confide in and trust.
Thank you, Carol and Erin, for your time. We Acme Talks really appreciates this. Till next time. All right. Thank you, Claire. Thank you for inviting us on. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Acme Talks. We have a small request for you before you go. Please subscribe to this podcast on CastBox, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever good podcasts are found. And rate and review the podcast so that more people can join Acme's conversations about media, journalism, and society. Asante sana.